Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Hello and welcome to Operation Silver Screen. This cinema-related operation has been created to clear our desks from stacks of open cases. What are these cases? Well, even being the film lovers that we are, Caitlin and I have a huge backlog of must-see films that we still need to experience. So each week we'll tackle a film that either one of us or both of us still need to see. We will then provide a debrief of our week's mission, given our outlook on the film's popularity and significance, as well as providing our opinion on whether or not it's worth seeing and other fun insights. So Caitlin, what was our mission this week? So this week's mission, we traveled to a scorching hot summer day of Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn, New York. So pull up your chair from your favorite corner store, turn on the FM of love, and listen as we provide a debrief on the Spike Lee film, Do the Right Thing. So before we get into it, I want to mention the first part of our debrief will be spoiler-free as we talk about our overall thoughts on the film. But as we move into the more classified part of the mission, there will be some spoilers on the story, but we'll be sure to give you a warning when we get to that part. So let's go ahead and get into why we choose to watch the film this week. So this is a film that I haven't seen before, and and Brian, if I am remembering correctly, you hadn't seen it before either until this week. No, and actually this is my first Spike Lee joint that I've actually watched. At all? I thought you said you had watched maybe one or two. I thought I did, but I was going through the filmography, and no, there's none that I can remember seeing before. He's been a director that I haven't been that interested in. Uh, I know he's a very controversial director, and from what I hear... Sometimes he has the style over substance, which turns me off from a lot of big directors. So I've always, I just never had that push to watch one of his films. Yeah, I think the only one I've seen so far is Black Landsman. I thought I had seen more too, but as I was going through his filmography as well, I realized I hadn't. But he's very much a director that is well known for what he does. And he's very much in a lot of film discussions. So I think he's a good one to watch for his podcast and also uh, it being Black History Month. So let's go a little bit into what the critics themselves had to say about this film. Did you uh, find anything about that, Brian, when you were doing your research? Yes. One of the things I found is that this is considered one of Spike Lee's greatest film, if not his best film, which is the reason that we chose it. It was also... On Rotten Tomato, it has received 93% critic rating with a 89% audience rating. It is also part of the Criterion Collection. It was nominated for two Oscars, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Danny Aiello, and then Best Original Screenplay. Spike Lee is the, at the time, he was the second black person to ever be nominated for this award, and he is still one of four that have actually been nominated. One has won so far, and that was Jordan Peele for his 2018 hit, Get Out. Spike Lee was, is, still a bit upset that he wasn't nominated for Best Picture for Do the Right Thing, and I think it was a little bit more injury to insult when Driving Miss Daisy actually won that year as well. Which, I have not watched Driving Miss Daisy yet, so I know we'll do an episode on it one day, but I heard a couple things already about that movie, and they're not the best. Uh, yeah, I have not seen that one either. But I don't think I've heard anything about it, to be honest. <laughs> Other than the name, I don't really know too much about it, if I'm I'm being perfectly honest. Before this film came out in theaters, I think it was a hard one for him to produce. Uh, originally, this film was slated to be released by Paramount. 
But they kind of wanted a happier ending to this. I'm not, I'm not going to go into what the ending is for this, but they definitely wanted a more we are of a world type ending come out from this movie. So Spike Lee to go to Universal instead and release it through them. And there was some fears before the release of this movie that it was going to incite race riots as people were leaving the theaters. So that was something that was interesting and I think kind of just shows where the world was at at that time at release. Yes, because... During 1989, there were also several, not several, there were two big issues that had taken place that year. One was the Central Park Five, and the other one where a black teen was murdered by a white mob in Brooklyn. Taking place in Brooklyn, and racial tensions already pretty high with the Central Park Five, and also this murder as well. Studios were scared to put it out at all, let alone in the summer. But the studio backed them up on this, and even Spike Lee said, hey, I understand if you want to wait to the fall. And they said, no, people need to see this movie now. And they put it out in the summer. Speaking a little bit about that history, there was so much that went into the influence of this film as far as racial relations go and, and incidents that happened. This is mostly based on a, an incident in 1986. It's called the Howard Beach incident where a black man named Michael Griffiths was killed. He was running away from a mob at a pizzeria, a white mob after a, a racial incident. And as he was running away, he was actually hit and killed by a car. So there's a lot of things that, that went into this film. Some other incidents too, the death of Michael Stewart that you can look up is another thing that Spike Lee himself said was an influence for this film. I think with these kind of things the list could go on and on and on right i mean there's so many of these instances that happen that just kind of build into it there's instances that happened after this movie that you see having watched this this week still come to mind when i'm watching this movie yes and i misspoke the other incident that occurred that had the studios worried was the 1989 miami riot that riot was sparked after a police officer had shot a a black man who was running away or fleeing from the police. I'm not sure all the details about it, but that was another incident. And they were worried about more riots coming up and this inciting more. So did you see anything? So I think there's such a big legacy of this film from critics nowadays that heralds this movie. Did you see something about critics at that time? Uh, I know you said it was more for awards and stuff, but did you see anything about like the box office, how it did like from that initial release? The box office was good for it. It didn't break any records. As far as the critics, I read that a lot of white critics were not with this movie. They thought this movie was going to go ahead and incite violence, like the studios were worried. Rogers Ebert, someone who we've talked about before on the show, and also just one of the biggest critic names out there, during the time he stood behind this movie and spoke out and said that, no, this is a good film and it does have a powerful message and it's not going to necessarily incite the rise that people are scared of. That's kind of what the critics had to say, and I'm glad to hear that while not everyone enjoyed this film at the time, but it did have a, a pretty good reception. But what was your opinion on the film? Yes, so the film, and to give a little bit of more of a summary to it, follows a multitude of characters going about their day in a record-setting hot day in Brooklyn, New York. Starts out like a slice-of-life film, and it kind of continues out that way until probably the last 20 minutes of the movie. There's no grand stories or adventures. You're just watching the characters as they deal with their simple day, attempting to stay cool, get through work, kill time, and maybe make a, an attempt at social justice. So I did grow up in the city. However, I don't claim it because while I did grow up in Baltimore City, it was more of the outskirts. Not necessarily suburbs, but it was just the 
I know you know what I'm talking about, Caitlin. It doesn't really have that city feel to it. It almost is the suburbs of Baltimore. But part of my family lived in Baltimore City. Part of my family is from Baltimore City. My father's from Baltimore City. So I've listened to a lot of the stories that have come from there. And I've listened to stories coming from people who come from other neighborhoods and cities. And watching this, this looked very accurate. And this made me see what was so fun about or is so fun about living in the city. And I like that a lot. I like the bouncing from characters and groups and seeing what they were up to. I like their interactions with each other as well. This is a tight-knit community and people are just passing by and saying hello to each other or they're involved in some interaction and you see another person from somebody you saw like 10 minutes ago come in and interact with these individuals. You're never really spending too much time with anybody other than Mookie, the main character, played by Spike Lee, who I didn't realize was Spike Lee till the end. (laughs) But everybody's given their spotlight. It's nice. It's fun. I had an enjoyment watching it, especially with the style of this film. I've talked about it before with you, Caitlin. I'm not sure if I mentioned it too much on the show. I'm not a fan of the 90s aesthetic. Not really a fan of the 90s at all. However, this, this actually appealed to me with that Granted, it was 89, but it had that 90s fashion already taken place. From his tilted camera positions to his vibrant colors, I was having a fun time just watching this movie move around. Felt like you were walking through the city and just linking up with people along the way. However, the fun doesn't last for the entire time. This movie does take a quick turn. This movie almost pulls you over a counter and starts beating the crap out of you. And then this is where I see that Spike Lee controversy which I kind of forgot about until like after this film, I was remembering like what I've heard about Spike Lee. I was like, oh yeah, he is a controversial director. And that's something that he's made a name of himself, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. In this case, it isn't a bad thing. Rather than derailing the movie, it just brings it to another destination, another passing. And I found myself enthralled in that portion just as much as I was enjoying the rest of the movie and the characters even if I had frustration with a lot of the characters that I was loving throughout the movie. So I, I had a fun time watching this. Yeah, I mean, I think when I went into this, I was ready for a really emotionally heavy movie. And while it is in that, in part, there also is that sense of fun to it. I mean, we open up with the Public Enemy song, Fight the Power, which is the kind of a theme song for this, which I've heard that song a lot over the years. I like that song, but I didn't know that it was made for this film. But we opened up with that song playing with Rosie Perez dancing over it. And she actually danced for eight hours in the filming of this. They originally had her plan to dance for a different song. And then when they had to do this, they kind of had to change the direction that the film was going. And yeah, eight hours of her just dancing. So power to her for that. But the visuals of this film are very stunning. Uh, when Thomas, the production designer, made sure the colors were more vibrant in this film. So you le- see a lot of vibrant reds and orange. So you talked about it looking like the city but the city definitely isn't as colorful as this is granted i have not lived in new york but from what i know these colors aren't quite as vibrant their sense of liveliness to it which kind of remind me of other new york films kind of like in the heights a little bit of west side story which we've talked about in our, our previous film reviews it also made me think of how we were talking about in the worst person in the world review that we had last week that Joachim Trier, the director of the Oslo trilogy, wanted to make his Oslo. He wanted to present Oslo in the same way that Spike Lee presented New York. So I feel that this neighborhood in New York, as is much of a character in this film, 
as Oslo was in those things, in those trilogies. Yeah, so when I said I liked the look, I wasn't saying that the look was accurate as a city. The interactions and the people going about their days and the people that you meet, that portion seemed accurate. The actual look of it, no. No, this is not accurate. Actually, I went to Baltimore City countless times for to visit family, to do work, to go to concerts, and always kind of wondered, why does everybody want to go to the city and live in it? Because in high school, middle school, that was it was almost like a badge of honor to say that you were from the city. People would brag about having cousins from the city and going there all the time on the weekends, but I went through there and seeing it inside and out, it wasn't a very appealing place, but seeing this and seeing all the people connect together and having a fun time with what they had, I can see why they have such a pleasure in the city. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, You also mentioned that you didn't recognize that Spike Lee was the main character Mookie in this film. I did, but it did surprise me. So coming into this film, I didn't realize that he was acting in it as well. Which also kudos to any director that can act and direct at the same time, because that just seems like a lot of work to me. (laughs) But I think he did it well. But so going to this film, there was one appearance that did surprise me, though, and that was the appearance of Giancarlo Esposito. So I know that he was in this film, but I didn't recognize him all as bugging out. He had those glasses and his hair was all done. I mean, I've only ever seen him as an older person, the Breaking Bad type character. So it was it was interesting to see him in this role in this movie. Yeah, he surprised me. Actually, I had a couple surprises. Samuel Jackson, I thought he was introduced in a later Spike Lee film. So I kept looking at him and I kept thinking, man, that radio announcer looks a lot like Samuel Jackson. Oh crap, that's Samuel Jackson. Also, Martin Lawrence is in this and this is his debut film and he's not a main character. He's actually like, in, he's in the background. Of his group. He doesn't have too many lines. Yeah, he's just kind of on the side. I think I did know he was in this, but I didn't know it was his debut film. This was also Rosie Perez's debut film. There was a coincidence of her running into Spike Lee as she was dancing on top of a speaker or a stage that she wasn't supposed to. And he was worried that it was going to cause problems with the club. And they got to talking and he hired her for this film. And then also, audience, I did try to get Caitlin to do a four and a half minute opening where she's just dancing. But one, this isn't a visual podcast. And two, she, for some reason, is not up to it. Yeah, for some reason. Don't know why. (laughs) I think another thing that is kind of a character of itself in this film is the heat. I was watching a video yesterday that kind of talked about the heat in this and how heat in film usually represents tension. And that's for sure in this film. And I know there's a note too that I, I wrote down as I was watching this film that the sweat on people's bodies in this film looked gross. <laughs> You'd have really close shots of people just sweating in this film. And Spike Lee himself said that he was making this film, that he wanted people to sit in the theater and watch this in their air-conditioned theaters and start sweating. And I think he accomplished that. How did you feel? Did you start? Did you break a sweat when watching this film? I didn't break a sweat, but I didn't want to be in this film at all. I didn't want to have to, like, hug anybody in this film. Because, yeah, everybody was just... Really sweaty. It reminded me of another film titled Never Going Back in 2018 where they're dealing with a similar issue. And yeah, just during the whole film, you can just tell that they are dying and withering away. I also, I wonder if this had inspiration because I feel like I've seen this plot a couple of times where the heat doesn't work in the city. I mean, we saw it recently in In the Heights. 
And also there was a episode of Hey Arnold. And actually this movie, I wouldn't be surprised if it just had a influence on the TV show as a whole, Hey Arnold, because there was a couple things here that reminded me of that TV show as well. Well, I think it's also just a reality in, in lower income places with power outages and issues with that. I mean, we see that in real life. Yeah, instead of fighting the power, they should have probably got it to turn on. Yeah, definitely. Although the, um, the water in this film, there is a lot of scenes with water and times when they're out in the streets and they're just playing with the water hydrants. And it just did seem fun. It did seem fun. Yeah, that always seems like a good time. And then I'll always kind of wonder, like, what's the consequence of it? Because there's no way the city will allow you to do it. And then in this movie, they actually show a cop coming in and uh, and turning it off. But no, that's something I grew up and always saw in film and would have always liked to do. You can also tell that the people who worked on this film either lived in the city, visited often. They have experience in the city because there was just little things in there that I wouldn't have even thought about not being in that environment. For instance, you have Martin Lawrence and... Another one of the actors, they're sitting there, they're shaving the cans down so they're nice and smooth. That way they can put it over the fire hydrant and direct the flow of water. I think I must have missed that. Like the bridges on the trash cans? It was like a soda can or a food can. They were sitting down facing towards each other with their legs open and they were just rubbing the cans on the concrete to smooth them out. And I, was, oh. I didn't even know what they were doing. I didn't know what the purpose of that was. And then you see them take cans and go over to the fire hydrant and start redirecting it to mess with people. Oh, okay. Yeah, I missed that part. I mean, there's just so many details in this film. It really is a lively film. There's so much going on at all times. And the buildings, the way that everything is shot, it just seems large. It just seems like a large, expansive neighborhood in a way buildings loom over the people the bright vibrant colors the people walking about it's a very lively film yes and we talked about the colors a couple times and the colors were intentional like we said cities don't necessarily look like that too often but the the cinematographer in this movie Ernest Dickerson he wanted to not only convey the heat and seeing people sweat and talking about it and fanning themselves in their actions, but also kind of show it in the color. So almost all of the scenes in this movie have the color red shown somewhere in it. It was also to kind of keep up the, the tension in the film. Spike Lee also stayed away from using any, using many blues and cooling colors in the wardrobe. So a fun fact I found about this movie, the wardrobe and the coloring, is the wardrobe also signifies somebody's alliance. So there's a scene where some bugging out has his shoes stepped on, and he's wearing Air Jordans, Michael Jordan being black, and they're stepped on by a white man who's wearing a Larry Bird Celtics jersey, Larry Bird being white. The main character, Mookie, is wearing a Jordans jersey, or not Jordan's jersey, he's wearing a uh, a Robinson jersey. And then two of the actors, two of the Italians, one is wearing black, but underneath he's wearing white, showing his alliance to white people still, while the other one is wearing a black undershirt, showing their his alliance or his allyship. Yeah, and speaking of wardrobe, it just the wardrobe was fun too. I really like Mookie's outfit. I mean, he doesn't, this all takes place during a single day. 
And so you kind of stick with these same outfit the whole whole time for the most part. Or does he change? Does he change when he goes home and showers? I think he changes when he goes home and showers. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of the second so. outfit then. With kind of like the running shorts underneath and the green designs. It was fun. I think that visually this is a very interesting film. And I think Mike Lee as a director, knew what he was doing within the visuals of this film. And even the camera work. This is definitely a film that tension is such a big part of this film. There's increased tension as the film goes on. And the way that he frames these scenes, as the film goes on, you see closer shots. As the film goes on, you see more Dutch angles, Dutch tilts that really kind of make it a little bit more disorienting, a little bit more claustrophobic in these moments of increased tension. So there's definitely wonderful skill there as far as the camera work goes from Spike Lee and, and our cinematographer working together on that. And then another thing I noticed with the tension too is that a lot of scenes... Up until that final moment, you'll see moments of increased tension where characters might be arguing and you think that something's about to go down and then the movie will immediately cut away to another scene where there's not so much tension. Uh, You'll see two people arguing in one moment and just before the tension starts to break, it cuts to someone doing in a shower or doing something pretty innocent away from that tension. So it really plays along with, with tension a lot in the film until the end where finally all that culminates. Yeah, and I look forward to talking in the spoilers about how you feel this wrapped up because I was talking to my mom about this movie and she stayed away from Spike or has been staying away from Spike Lee films because what she knows of them and I think she's seen a couple, she thinks they do more harm than good and that they can kind of put in a divider. And I think with this ending, I started feeling that, but either I was understanding the intentions of the message or the way I was perceiving it was making me feel better about it. But I think this movie has I would like to say a message that is misunderstood but honestly there's no consensus of this movie of what the ending is supposed to mean Spike Lee hasn't came out and said what he was intending to make and a lot of different people have opinions of this and different theories and things like that for me though I like the message I think is a hard message but I think it is a message that can be viewed negatively yeah but also just the fact that it's been so many years and it's still inspiring a lot of critical thought and for that ending i think that's something good to be said even if you don't agree with it necessarily the fact that he was able to accomplish that and create something that's so lasting i mean that's why we're talking about it here on this podcast right yeah because this movie because two things this movie one is still relevant racial tensions are still relevant today also this movie was inspired by two individuals martin luther king and malcolm x Two of the most iconic figures out there, especially when it comes to civil rights. And they had kind of conflicting viewpoints. We're still able to work together. So I think because we can still look at those figures and still dissect what they were preaching and seeing their actions and this movie being a product of it. I don't think it's a surprise that this is a movie that we're still talking about and will continue to still talk about. And actually, I'd like to put in another little side piece. Because of this movie, it ends with a Malcolm X quote and a Martin Luther King quote. 
I was wondering when Malcolm X died. I actually found out recently, so one, he was assassinated, but a couple months ago in November, they have now pushed to exonerate two of the three men who were imprisoned for life for the assassination of Malcolm X. It was a mistrial. It was based on a lot of faulty support. The man who admitted to assassinating Malcolm X said that no, the other two guys had nothing to do with it, but they still imprisoned those two males, and it was just a couple months ago that they're now being exonerated, which that news completely passed me. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, I hadn't seen anything about that until you you posted about it. I'm surprised that it wasn't making headlines in more places. Yeah, so we're still having relevant information and issues today, whether it's something that's coming up from the past and we're looking more into it because this isn't the first time that we looked in the past and seen something that was done wrong racially. There was also the the Black Wall Street massacre. And then also, of course, we have our own, not day to day, but we have still our annual occurrences of racial incidents, most recently being, well, not even George Floyd, the, the one after it recently with, I forgot his name, I think it's Eric Gardner. Eric Gardner. And I don't even think that's the most recent. I mean, I feel like it's almost a, it's just a regular occurrence. And I'm sure there's so many names that, that kind of just get lost, which is unfortunate, but definitely still has relevancy in that regards, which is, like I said, very unfortunate. But this film, it's a series of vignettes in these characters. And I was curious to see if there was any characters that really stood out to you, like in particularly among all the others. I think every character had their own spotlight and they all had their high points. So I was kind of enjoying everybody equally. I guess if I was putting anybody above, it was Mookie, who I enjoyed seeing in the pizza shop. I liked everything that was happening within the pizza shop. And the mayor. The mayor was an interesting figure as well being that city drunk that's just kind of wandering around in his dusty suit. Yeah, I did want to ask you a little bit about your feelings on the mayor and mother sister as well and their roles in the film. Because I think they kind of showed for me, being the two older people that are focused in this film, just the cycle of these violence and racial tension that it just keeps going. And it's unchanging and they've been there. They've seen that. So that's what what I kind of got from those characters. I don't know if you thought that as well. One, they worked well together when you saw them. And that's probably because they are a real life couple. But I think, yeah, it's kind of that cycle in the city kind of just repeating itself. And they're kind of the two paths that people go down. The mother, she was just observing everybody. She didn't partake in anything she was just spectating because probably she's already lived in and has gone through that already so it's whatever to her while the mayor is still trying to stay relevant he's still going by in the city and still seeing people and talking to them and trying to preach words of wisdom to them so I I like their characters they were the interesting ones as well yeah I definitely agree I think the mayor too was was a sympathetic character for me and kind of just showed the difference between the generations and what they were going through in the city the other character that I really liked was Radio Rahim he just kind of was this larger than life kind of guy with his insight with his wisdom with his love and hate speech which was actually taken from an older movie it was from a film from 1955 called night of the hunter but i guess had influenced spike lee to write that scene but he kind of has his own thoughts to that as well but radio rahimi just seemed he just seemed like a fun guy like i felt like all he really wanted was to just listen to his music and that was his primary motivation was listen to his music and to enjoy his day with the song And 
I think just something as simple as that was very touching. He seemed like a fun guy at first. As the movie went on, I didn't like him. Not in a way that I didn't like the way that his character was written. I didn't like who that person was. I think Radio Raim, he has that love-hate speech and he doesn't practice it. He's a person that doesn't practice what they preach. There's a lot of moments in this film where he's having interactions with other characters, mainly those that do not match his race, and he's very rude to them and disrespectful. And him with his radio, it was funny and everything, but at the same time, he was using it more to mess with people and incite violence. And that's something we'll talk about a little bit more during the spoilers as well. Yeah, I guess I can see that too. And I think that's something that we'll go more into too as when we talk about does it hold up as well. Because I think you bring up some things that happen in this film that might not hold up from a modern lens. But we'll go into that a little bit later. I feel like another thing that we'll talk about a little bit in that section was just the portrayal of women as well. Because there was one character that I wanted to see more of because she kind of was one of the more logical characters. There's a, I don't even know her name in the film. The actress, I recognize the actress from other things. But she was kind of in, there's a group of friends that are kind of going around. And she is like the only girl in this group of boys that's going around and, and just having fun and and interacting with them. I did like that girl too, and she did seem like the logical one, the one that kind of holds them together. So she was interesting to watch in there. She did look familiar, and I can't remember who she is. Is there anything else you want to say before we get into who would we recommend it to? Yes. Something I liked about this film too is that that had Latin representation as well. I wasn't, yeah, I granted, I wasn't expecting it. So I thought this was just going to be just focused on the black community. And I know that Spike Lee films usually have a message coming from the black community. And also, like I said, when I went into Baltimore City and time I spent in there, I didn't see a lot of uh, uh, Latinos. So that was cool to see in this movie. They even have a mural with different flags. They have the Puerto Rican flag, Cuban flag, and they even have their a group of friends that are Latino. And actually, they're of different races, but still hang out with each other. I'll somewhat disagree. I mean, it was good to see Rosie Perez. I think Rosie Perez herself have kind of had some statements to say about Afro-Latinos and in the community and her thoughts on that. So I'll, I'll let you guys look that up yourselves and kind of have your own conversation about that. But it was nice to see her in this and her family being a part of this and being part of the Black community because I think that we have this idea that Latinos can't be black, <laughs> uh, which is not true. Latinos come in all different sorts of races and colors. That and it's something that in the Heights, like I said in our West Side Story podcast, got some flack from for not adequately showing Afro Latinos in their film and focusing on one specific type of Latinos. So it was nice to see her character in this. But I will say that I thought that some of the other portrayals of Latinos and and we'll talk about it a little bit later too and also repertorio of korean americans was a bit one-dimensional a little bit stereotypical so we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah they could have spent more time with them i want to say that yeah it wasn't the best there could have been more yeah and the dialogue i got a little bit of west side story flashbacks with the with the spanish dialogue <laughs> even for that just brief scene so before we get into the whole discussion of does this hold up, I want to talk about who we would recommend this film to. 
always kind of discuss that who we think is best suited for this film, who we would recommend watch this film. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that, Brian. Yes. So this is another one where I would say just a step above the general audience to cinephiles will enjoy this movie. Like I said, my mom has been staying away from Spike Lee films and I was close to telling her, hey, yeah, you should check this one out though. And thinking about it, no, this is not the one. I mean, if you're trying to have a film just to have a good time, nothing too controversial, this Spike Lee joint is not going to be the one. Not sure if any of them are going to be the one. So if you're a lover of movies, yeah, this is a movie to go out and and check out. Would you recommend this to a white audience? I do not discriminate in my recommendations. I would recommend this to all people. I mean, yeah, it's just like any movie I recommend it to. I don't think any movie is for any race. I think based on your race or at least your culture may give you a different, you may receive a different impact from a movie or movies, but there's nothing I would recommend more to one person or the other. Now, if you're a person that grew up in the city and you want something that brings you back to those times, yeah, this is a movie, Do the Right Thing is what I'll recommend to you. If you're someone who is interested in the riots and racial tension, then I'll recommend for you to watch this movie. But I think it all comes down to experience and culture, not just race. Yeah, I agree that this presents a culture that maybe not a lot of white Americans are very familiar with. A culture that maybe people in less populous areas might not fully understand. You can watch this and take away an experience that might not be your experience. And I think it's important that we always watch films with experiences that are different from our own. Like I said, I'm not from the city. I'm not familiar with that type of neighborhood environment. And of course, I'm not black, so I don't have that kind of experience either. So I definitely think this is something you should should watch and keep your mind open if you're not used to expanding your horizons in that way. So that said, I've also seen a couple things online that said that this is a film that a lot of white people kind of name drop to kind of show that they're allies. It's kind of a performative kind of allyship. I think I've seen a lot of people who are like that within the film community. So don't watch this just to try to prove something. You know, don't be performative. So what you're saying is watching Do the Right Thing in the film community is pretty much the same as voting for Barack Obama. Who saw this movie with Michelle Obama? This was their first date night. It was between this and uh, Driving Miss Daisy. So we may not have had the president we have today without Do the Right Thing. Yeah, they actually, I was going to mention this a little bit later, but we can talk about it now. Uh, We'll talk about it a little bit more in our spoiler section too. But there's a moment in the movie Southside of You, which is a movie that follows Barack and Michelle as they're growing up and it shows their first date and it mentions this movie and they have a conversation about this movie in that film. So that was interesting to see as well. Also, I just looked it up and I'm not the only one that saw the homage to Do the Right Thing in that Hey Arnold episode with the heat. And actually, I was looking at some screenshots and they do kind of link up. That's cool. I wish I could remember what episode you're talking about. It's the episode where the heat goes out and they're just trying to stay alive. I'll send you the link right now. Okay, send it to me. (laughs) But I think also when you're talking about race, and this kind of goes into the, it matters your environment as well. Because you can easily be a black person who grew up in an environment and may still be in that environment where you didn't see any of that racial injustice or any of that racial tension. 
So this film could be used as exposure, but at the same time, you're not going to get that impact as someone who has actually experienced it. Just as you could be a white person who did grow up in the city, maybe they grew up actually as the minority, uh, such as one of the actors in this movie, and they can see and get more of an impact from this movie than someone who, again, is not in that environment. Yeah, I can understand that. So I think now's a good time to kind of go ahead and transition to the classified part of our podcast. So if you haven't seen this film for some reason and you don't want to be spoiled at all about the the plot elements, particularly the ending of this film, go ahead and turn off the podcast. We do have some interesting discussions coming up about how it holds up. I know we kind of talked about that a little bit, but we'll go a little bit more into depth about that. And we'll also give our overall rating and some final comments about this film as well. But like I said, if you haven't watched this, go watch it, come back and join us for that discussion. So I want to go back to the side. Uh, Offside with you mentioned with the Barack and Michelle story there. Because in that film, from the tiny clip that I saw, it looks like they were talking to a white couple who there's some controversy over the scene of Mookie throwing the trash can into the window, into Sal's window. And what Spike Lee has said about this is that every time that he's been approached by someone asking him, Why did he throw that trash can in the window? It's always been a white person who is asking the question. And I'm curious your thoughts as to that. (laughs) I guess that's my white side that sort of wants to know. But I think I don't need an answer for it. Because to ask for an answer is to kind of ask every person who's been in that situation. Every time that these riots have been incited, asking that person, why did they do this? Why did they start this? I think he didn't make the right decision. I think it was his time to do the right thing and he chose not to, but he did what he did. And I don't think it needs an absolute reason. Yeah, I agree. I don't don't think it even crossed my mind to to really think into it when I was watching this. So the fact that there have been so many discussions about Oh, did he do it to take the pressure off Sal so they wouldn't attack Sal? Like, that was one theory that was going around, and I was like, what? (laughs) I would have never even thought of that. I think his, if anything, I think his character was just mad. He even tells Sal later, they killed Raheem. What did that have to do with Sal's shop? Nothing, really. But I think he was, I don't think he was. You can see it in his face, and even it being an aggressive action, he was mad. But I can see the theory, and it's something that doesn't, like I said, have a consensus on it. I mean, it has a consensus because Spike Lee himself said, no, that's not why this happened. (laughs) That is one theory that he has gone and denounced himself. Wait, did he say why, though? Because I couldn't find out him saying, like, what the message and the ending of the film and the throwing of the trash can actually meant. I don't think that there was ever a reason other than he was just upset. And I know Spike Lee has announced the idea that he was somehow protecting Sal by doing this. I think he was just upset and angry at this brutal death they all just witnessed and angry from all the events that just built up during the day that led to this moment. But that whole scene, I mean, since we're here, since you threw the trash can through the window, might as well talk about it. That whole ending scene, like starting from Radio Raheem walking into that store, how did you feel? Because I think that's when the film makes that turn. 
it's interesting watching because this all, I mean, from a surface value, this all started because Buggin' Out wanted some pictures of not just white Italian Americans on this pizzeria wall. And it seems like such a little thing. It seems like such a little thing that did it need to erupt into such violence and this tension and with such a sad end for Radio Rahim. But it's not just about the pictures. And I think we show this throughout the film is that there's there's all these little events that just keep happening and happening. And these people are, are powerless in their own community. And because of this powerlessness and the disenfranchisement here, these little things just build up. And so it makes sense when you look at it from that regard, rather than just this one small surface element. Yeah, it all does start with that wall, which I don't disagree with Sal, with him being Italian-American and putting Italian-Americans up on the wall. I think Buggin' Out could have approached it in a different way. I think Buggin' Out was Buggin' Out, like he does. How did you, what did you think about him going in and demanding and Radio Rahim going in? Do you think that was justified for them? Do you think they were making the right move, doing the right thing to get their voice heard in a sense? This film's called Do the Right Thing, but I think what this film shows is that there isn't really a right thing to do. Sometimes our actions just happen. Sometimes these actions are just culmination of of different tensions and events and, and it explodes in this way. So to look at this as did they do the wrong thing, I think, diminishes the whole history of where that's coming from. I mean, you can talk about maybe this, they didn't go about it the right way, but I don't think the morality of that is something that's so black and white. It's interesting that you say that because, like I said with this movie, everybody kind of has their opinion and their perspective of this, and it looks like we have different perspectives as well because the way that I saw the ending was that the title kept coming up in my head of just do the right thing. People are constantly doing the wrong thing. And if somebody had done the right thing at a certain point, it would have probably dissipated the incident. For instance, Radio Rahim, and why this is one of the things that I didn't like about him, is that when he, the first time he comes up to Sal's shop, he actually turns up the radio. Why would you turn up the radio and go into somebody's establishment and then start asking for food? Like he literally turned up the music to go inside. This again is Radio Raheem. Not, he's hitting with that left hand a lot. He's hitting in with that hate, that hate. He's never throwing in that love. And yeah, Sal didn't say please or anything like that. And he went off He went off and started yelling at him. So again, maybe he could have done the right thing and asked him nicely to turn it off. I think when they went into the shop finally, one, bugging out, didn't have to go there and start demanding. The fight didn't even call for that. He could have done the right thing and took his business elsewhere or... He could have found another approach for this to get Sal to put up the pictures on the wall. Radio Rahim, too, could have done the right thing and just turned down the radio. Sal could have done the right thing and not fall into the instigating that Radio Rahim had committed. He could have easily called the cops to come there and deal with the noise dispute, the disorderly conduct. I think the group that was already in the pizza diner, granted they weren't going against their characters, which was instigating things, insulting, teasing, being loud. They could have done the right thing. They could have came in between knowing Radio Rahim, knowing Sal, and said, hey, look, turn down the radio. We can all talk this out. It's late at night. No, they wanted to go ahead and say, yeah, no, mess them up. Do this, do this, do that. And then Mookie, Mookie could have came in. He knows bugging out. He works for Sal. He could have came in and done the right thing 
and separated them as well. So I think, again, it was this constant do the right thing, but no one's doing the right thing. And it goes ahead and it leads up to a riot. You have Radio Raheem who just couldn't turn down his radio. Yeah, I understand what you're what you're saying to agree. And I think there's things that would have dissipated this tension and this violence. But I still think that this film, while it is at surface value asking you to determine what is the right thing, I think in a deeper level that it really isn't trying to tell you what the right thing is. And I think that it's showing that life's a little bit more complicated than the right and the wrong things. We see a lot of conflicting things uh, with Radio Rahim. Like I said, the love and the hate, this idea that he said that they're they're in conflict with each other, this idea of love and hate, and they're fighting against each other. And also when he was talking to the Korean couple who owned the store getting the batteries. Very confrontational of him. At first, you're kind of like, oh, this is obviously not the right way to talk to these people. They're just trying to make a living. I don't understand why he's so upset. But at the same time, in the same breath, he's also saying, you know, I like you. Uh, You're all right. And they're kind of yelling back and forth, but it also doesn't seem like it's any true tension. There's no real hate among them from what I gathered. I think it plays with those ideas about those things, the love and the hate, the, the right thing and the wrong thing they coexist so closely together and it's hard to kind of make that moral judgment and then it also uh, towards the end of this film when we see the two quotes from Martin Luther King and Malcolm X as far as violence goes doesn't make it doesn't make a decision about what's the best way to view violence or what's the best way to view how we go about situations like this it doesn't make that judgment it presents both sides both Martin Luther King and Malcolm X's sides together an equal footing and it shows them the picture together, shaking each other's hand. We see Smiley of that picture throughout the film. So I think it, to look at it as the right thing and the wrong thing just seems a little bit too simplistic, too black and white for me in my viewing of this film. I think it is a simplistic thinking. And I think the good and evil discussion that goes on and on again about morals is complicated. But at the same time, I think that sometimes doing the right thing does present itself and granted were they were their intentions wrong or right i think that's where it can become a bit more abstract now did bugging out needed to go ahead and fight to get the hall of fame get black people into the hall of fame that's where it becomes complicated but i think his approach his actions were more simplistic and could have been answered in a simpler way Granted, it would have called for a complex discussion. I think Radio Rahim, I got a different feeling from when he was in that Korean store. I thought he was being very rude to those individuals. I thought he was, I mean, he's literally talking down on them, the way the camera's positioned and, of course, just his height and everything and his his build. He also messes with the Latin Americans that are in the community as well. He goes up to them and he turns out the music. Yeah, it's kind of a friendly conversation or a competition, but they start saying things back at him, and the way it starts and the way it ends, I don't see that friendliness there. And then the other minority in the community, the last one, Sal, he turns up his radio before going into the store. So I don't think Radio Raheem, granted, again, is he a good person or is he a bad person, is a complicated discussion, but I can say that from my point of view, he was not a good individual. He was a hypocrite to what he had preached and what he held onto his hand. 
I mean, even having Love as a brass knuckle, he was all more about inciting violence than anything else. He had brass knuckles. The music that he had going on was fight the power. He was all about fighting. He wasn't about loving at all. Yeah, I think that's something we're going to have to disagree with. I don't think I got that from him as a character. I think I'm, I see that side of him, but I don't think that's all that I got from it. And also the way that he approaches his black friends, the the black individuals in the community, that is different than how he approaches the the other races. He didn't go up turning up his radio on the black people that he met with when he had a conversation with them. So why did he treat other races differently than he treated his own race? And I guess because like with the Latino scene with the music, I kind of saw it as more playful. I did at first till it, till it ended. I mean, it just ended with him walking away, right? It ended with him walking away and then they were throwing insults at him as he was walking away. Still think there was some aggression there. And I mean, you can kind of see like he's a little bit better with them, maybe because they live in that community, maybe because they're closer to his skin color, to his race. But as you start to see that distance created in the races, the more rude he becomes to the individuals. I don't know. I feel like with the Latino thing, they just kind of felt like caricatures to me. You know, we didn't even really get a good shot of their faces. Like, I know we have like a little shot of them, but then it's kind of just like their backs and just their hands throwing up. They're screaming cuss words in Spanish. They just didn't seem like real characters to me. They just seemed like caricatures. So I didn't really feel any real tension in that scene. They didn't really have a big part. You know, to have tension, you kind of have to have real people with real problems. They were just hands being thrown up in the air when they were getting mad. And that's kind of all that they were to me in this film. Yeah, we could have probably saw more there. And if there was tension, it could have been explored more. And honestly, when I first watched it, I saw it more as teasing. But then seeing the way he approached other individuals, I started to doubt his friendliness with them. Gotcha, I see. I think the community's relationship in general with the the Korean couple was was interesting to see, and it's something that we go as we go into the idea of does this film hold up. I think there are a lot of things that do feel a little bit dated that we might not see in, in current films, and a large part of it, I think, is the treatment of Korean immigrants in this movie because it almost villainizes them in a way, and I don't think I don't think it was fully justified. <laughs> Especially since what we see of them is such a large caricature of Asian immigrants in the country. I understand their frustration with them, but yeah, I think they took on a lot more that wasn't needed, especially being a part of the community. And another thing that I don't think this film really holds up with, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, was the the treatment of women in this film. And even from a filmmaking point of view, one of the big scenes that's in this film is a moment where... Mookie and Rosie Perez's character are having an intimate moment with some ice cubes and he's running ice cubes along her breasts and her body and Rosie Perez has said that she was very uncomfortable during the filming of the scene and that the reason why you don't see her face is that she was crying during the making of the scene as Spike Lee was running ice cubes down her body. So I think there's a lot to be discussed with that in today's culture and it's just this treatment of women. It's not a film that's very woman-centered. It's gotten flack for having one-dimensional women characters in this film and there's not really many of them. I mean, most of 
it's a very large cast, but most of the cast that you see are male. And then seeing the treatment of Rosie Perez during the filming of that and her uncomfortable in that situation was a bit off-putting. Yeah, I hated to learn that. Because here, it was a well-made film. And to find out that that happened, and for it to not even... No, granted, no matter how important it was to the plot, if it's making somebody uncomfortable and it's making them crying, and granted, she says she's the one that says that, and she says she does become more comfortable with the nudity later on in future films, talking about right then and there, and to think about it as it was the director, because Spike Lee is playing Mookie, so he's the one that's rubbing ice cubes on this individual, so you're the director, you're the one with the power in this movie, and you can see that she's visible uncomfortable and even crying is something that could have been stopped and that's something that yeah i can't can't defend that at all could have been a lot better the female representation and that scene could have been absolutely cut or the breast could have at least been cut it would have still been a sweet moment without showing that well, I think the reason why it showed the breasts and the body, it was taken from another film. I think of it was a French film, which makes sense. <laughs> I don't remember the exact title of the film, but that's what he had gotten that scene in reference to. So he was making a commentary from that other film. But you have ways of, of going about things and, and scenes that require nudity that don't involve making your actors uncomfortable. And there's definitely different things that he could have employed. And especially during that time, I think, I don't want to say that today we're more desensitized to boobs and breasts and stuff with the HBO culture that we're in. But it definitely was a big deal back then being an actress showing your breasts on screen it was controversial it was uh bold it was a big step in a movie to do that maybe a bit less here of another previous eras but even so i mean it's a very intimate thing and your first priority as a director in my opinion should make sure that your cast and crew are comfortable i think at this point though Showing breasts was not that big of a thing. For one, you could show breasts at this time in PG movies. PG-13 hadn't exist, but you could show breasts in PG movies. Rated R still existed. The movie Airplane has a scene where that occurs. Also, we've had our slashers and things, and breasts have been shown. I think in the 80s is when you started to see that more commonly now. I know it was a big thing before, but I think now it really wasn't too big of a thing. But granted, whether it's a big thing or it's not, if it's making your actor or actresses uncomfortable, don't do it. If you think it's so important, recast. If it's not needed, then don't don't force it if it's not going to change your film at all. Yeah, I think I mean for more of an acting point of view and an actress point of view. Like, are you the type of actress that are going to show your breasts or are you not? And I think that there is still such a division there. Even today, you hear it all the time. Oh, this actor refused to show her breasts or get naked or show nudity in their in their piece. Think even with Euphoria, that show is really big right now. I believe Zendaya has said that she did not want to show any nudity in the TV series, though I know that other characters do. So I think there's still just quite a division. I mean, it's a personal choice, but I think for women... There's still such labels of that as who you are of an actress based on what you're willing to show on camera. Agreed. Yeah, from that standpoint, I see what you're saying. But I do think that this film also just missed the opportunity to show more of a womanly perspective. We don't see very many women. Like I said, they're pretty one-dimensional. I would have liked to see more from that one character, the the friend character in the group. And even the, the sister at time, Jade, I believe her name is, Mookie's sister, 
she kind of seemed like an accessory to Mookie's story in a lot of ways, I felt. I agree. Yeah, there wasn't too much for her to do. She has that moment with Sal, but after that, there really isn't too much. So I do think there's a lot of things that if this was made today, it might not be as accepted. I think there's things that are dated in this film that don't hold up quite as well. But I do think that the overall uh, theme of this movie, or overall message, it does still very much hold up. Just like I said, the violence that we see today, the racially motivated violence, is still prevalent in these horrendous crimes that we see against unarmed black men and women in today's culture. It's just still sadly happening and so this film tackles that in a way that you wouldn't expect. I think we've both seen Fruitvale Station, and I think that that's a very good movie, and it definitely shows like a character study almost of the character in that film. And this kind of has its own way of going about it. Like I said, it, I'm glad that there was a sort of liveliness to it too, that there was levity in moments. Yeah, and those moments were good because you, I mean, it kind of sets you up for the for the ending. What did you think about the blatant racism in this movie? We have our character, Bino, who is not at all hiding his racism. What did you think about those portions of the movie? So actually my thought watching that is... We see the two different types of racism through Pino, the son, and Sal, the father. Because Pino, like you said, he's very blatant in his racism. He's very in-your-face about it, and there's no question about where his feelings are. But Sal's kind of a one that you don't really know. I mean, you know he says some things that are questionable. He does some questionable things, but there's other moments where he's defending this community to his son, there's a moment where he talks about how the people of this community were raised on his food and how he got to watch them grow. And I think he discusses the real love that he has for the community. But at the same time, when Pino kind of goes off rails and goes and yells at Smiley through the window, he just kind of sits there for the longest time and does nothing. He doesn't do anything to stop his son in that moment uh, until quite a while after that scene has gone on, he kind of doesn't even really chastise his son. He just kind of breaks it up in a way that he can. So he seems like a very passive character. And then the end, when he kind of just explodes and is using these slurs and going off on Radio Raheem and bugging out and destroys the radio, I think that's not... Till then, That's we didn't really see his racism explode in that manner. You know, something... That if you're saying those things while you're angry, <laughs> that's more reflective of how you really feel. Because things like that don't just slip out unless they're festered down in there for a while. So it's interesting. So the blatant racism, I think, from the sun was one thing that was awful, of course. But I think Sal's racism is even more dangerous in a way. Yeah, because we know who Pino is. We know that he is a threat, while Sal is somebody that's trusted. And now they can't be trusted and speaking of trust one thing that i liked from pino or one i can't even say like because i hated pino for saying this he says don't trust black people they're going to stab you in the back because his brother was having a good relationship with mookie he's like i can trust these people and then everybody of course is going to think yeah black people are not just going to go ahead and stab you in the back but then what happens at the end of this movie they get stabbed in the back i think that was a a tough depiction with the racism as well, how did you feel about one of the more well-known scenes in this movie, I guess, because I feel like I've seen this before. This was also included as a sample in one of Ice Cube's songs. 
But when they're sitting there and the cameras focus on them and they just start splurting out all the slurs of every race. Yeah, that was another thing that I don't think will quite hold up uh, in today's society. I think I understood what it was going for, but I wasn't particularly a fan of it. And it also, it, it brought to mind, there was a clip going around the internet a while ago about, it was from a Netflix show called Ginny and Georgia, where they were playing oppression Olympics, where they were just kind of shouting out all these different things at each other. And it was so just... It just bombed. It, like, nobody liked that scene. It was just getting dragged across social media. And, I mean, deserved. It was awful. It was an awful scene. But it, it kind of reminded me of that. I was like, is this really necessary? Like, what kind of point are you... Is this really making a point? Or is it just doing this to be kind of loud to kind of get your attention? Yeah, I kind of question if this movie was doing the same thing. One thing that helped it is that everybody gets their turn. No one walks out of this looking good there's slurs for everybody so when i first saw the first person i was like dang this is messed up and then he saw the second person like oh and then they just keep going the koreans and latins so i thought it was i thought it was funny not gonna laugh i didn't laugh remind me of being like back in middle school i don't think it really had much of a message there than just being included yeah and i think that those characters and those racial groups were more fleshed out in this film maybe it wouldn't have felt so kind of hurtful but like the korean americans like i feel like they are the butt of a joke throughout this film so then to go off of this rant against them just kind of felt a little mean-spirited do you have anything else to say about how it holds up i think it still can be a movie that's made today i know we say that a lot like no no this movie can't be made today There's very little films that I think can't be made. I think this is a film that could be made today and be made stronger. I think it's a film that it could spend a little bit more time with people and it could be a stronger film. I think it still holds up pretty well because like we said, it's still relevant. We're still finding out things about the past that are being brought up and we still have our day-to-day incidents that are occurring. So it's a movie that, yeah, you're going to be able to watch this throughout the ages. Are you saying that you would want a remake of this film? I wouldn't want a remake of this film, but I would like to see a movie that is strongly inspired by this. Maybe change the setting, do things different with the characters, different plot, all of that, but kind of still have this as its roots, I think will be interesting take. Now, in your research, did you see many films or or media that was inspired by this at all? No, I didn't see many. But I know Spike Lee has had his influence. And there was that homage to the Hey Arnold episode. But I didn't find... Actually, I found one thing. And we actually already... Or I watched it. There's a clip from the movie Blind Spotting, which is a great movie. A movie I love. And another great movie that discusses a lot of racial topics and in that movie it was actually a promo clip it wasn't included in the movie but it's a clip that is inspired by do the right thing strongly and that's with the way the camera movements not the camera movements but where the camera is focused on yeah we watched that movie together that's another one that i do recommend but you'll have to send me that clip bryant Maybe uh, we can share it on our social media. I think I found a lot of film and television things, like I said, to Southside with you. I think even like Futurama and a lot of other kind of comedy bits point to this film for certain parts of it, which I think that's a whole other discussion that maybe we're not going to go into right now. But 
I don't think I saw as much direct influences as far as the filmmaking style goes. I'm sure sure there are. I'm curious, though, to see. That's something I would like to do a little bit more research on. Just because I think this filmmaking style is is fantastic. Just Spike Lee as a director and as a visual director, I think that he did a really good job in that aspect. I wouldn't be surprised if this influenced Friday. Have you seen Friday? I think so. With Ice Cube and Chris Tucker? Mm, maybe I haven't. I don't think I have, actually. So that's a, that's a great film. I believe it's directed by Ice Cube, but there's a shot with the big bully of their community and the way it's shot reminded me exactly of the shot they did for Radio Raheem when he's first introduced and I wouldn't be surprised if this was inspired by that because this is a movie that's written directed and produced by Spike Lee and for Ice Cube to go forward and do that for Friday as well and to show that you don't need a great landscape you don't need you don't need a Hollywood set to go ahead and and make a movie. Yeah, I always talk about how much I fan of I am of claustrophobic films. And while I think there's claustrophobic in some of the shots here as the tension builds, even though we're focused in such a small neighborhood, I don't think I ever got that claustrophobic feel to this environment. No, I didn't get that. It felt like a small city. It felt like a block, but I don't think it was claustrophobic. Also, Ice Cube wrote Friday. He didn't direct it. It was F. Gary Gray. We've talked some about our opinions on this film and and things that we thought held up and didn't hold up, but I'm curious what your overall rating of of this film is. My overall rating for this film, it's a hard one because there's a couple of things to weigh in. So while I give my rating of the film, just know that it's going to be a rating of my opinion of the film because I think anyone else can watch this film, especially the ending. They can get something different from it. And you can get offended by the ending of this film and it can ruin the whole thing for you. And if you get offended by this film, I can't really defend it. I can give you my opinion and maybe that will give some insight. Maybe that will show something different for you. But for this film, I'm going to go ahead and give it, I feel comfortable giving it a solid B. It has a lot of style and substance. I love the characters. The shots, they sometimes felt a bit experimental. But for the most part, it kept it vibrant, especially with the colors. The whole thing with Rosie Perez, I know I said I was bothered by that. That doesn't affect the grade too much. Actually, it doesn't affect the grade at all. If anything, it's like a minus point here. It's like a hidden service fee, if anything. But it's not going to change it from a B plus or a B. And then it's a simple film. And without them actually like kind of pushing the message too much, I'm not saying that I need you to write it out for me what it is. But for it to kind of come in at the end of the film, I think some films may do it better. And this felt maybe it was going a little too bit into that controversial territory to be controversial. But I did enjoy this film. And I liked the enjoyment I got out of it. The What I got from the message, I liked. So this is a solid B for me. I was kind of hoping you weren't going to say B so we could fight a little bit more. <laughs> Ah, oh, content, really? <laughs> yeah, for me, I think I'm going to give this a solid B as well. But I do disagree with you on some points. I think the Rosie Perez situation did affect my grading of this. But not just the Rosie Perez situation. I mean the treatment of women in general in this film. And I think there are areas that just do not hold up from this film. For me, though, the filmmaking behind this is, is wonderful. I know you said at times the shots go a little too extreme for you. But I don't really agree with that. 
I thought this was really well shot and I thought the production design on this was spectacular. And as far as the message goes, I like that the message, it knew when to be clear and it knew when not to be clear. And I like that it's thought-provoking. I like that it invokes critical thinking of this film. And I definitely think there are wrong ways to interpret this film. But still, the fact that it can can start some discussion, I think, is a good thing. And I don't think that this is a controversial film at all. Not in the way, but I think that you might think it is. I don't think it's super controversial, but I do think it does provoke conversation. But maybe that's just because of my opinion and how I see this film. I think for me, because I don't, I don't know, your how you go to this film, your opinion on this film is, is going to be different. For me, in my mind, I think I don't understand how this is controversial, but obviously I'm coming to this in my own worldviews. So it's kind of just how it is. Yes. And to add on to the Rosie Perez thing, that you said. I am taking away points though for the representation of this film. Like I said, this film could have done more with this characters, doing more with his characters, doing a lot more with its female and Latin characters. I think also the controversial, I think this movie is controversial because the ending doesn't have a clear message. So people are going to interpret this in different ways and not all of them are going to be in such a positive light. Because at first True. for me, I was upset with the way that this film had turned. And it wasn't until it kept going that I became more comfortable with it and I became more confident in my interpretation. So I can see that if somebody was stuck in the first mindset that I had or that's where they continue to think from, this is a controversial film. And I know there's people out there like that. With the camera, I liked it a lot. It's just that sometimes, I don't know, it's just sometimes you can ease up just a little bit. That's not too bad for me. But I just want to kind of explain my, I don't know, may even have to cut that out. Because I thinking about the camera movements, actually, I really did like the camera. I like where the camera was positioned a lot of times. So yeah, I think if, honestly, the story could have done a little bit more. I think the representation could have been better. And I think the message could have been a bit better. That's why I'm going with a solid B. Did you think I was going to go higher or lower than you? I thought you were going to go lower, honestly. Actually, I don't know. I feel like you could have might have gone lower. I, I can also see you maybe going a little higher, but I think more, I was leaning more towards lower. But the fact that it was exactly the same letter grade that I was thinking in my head, I was like, dang it, <laughs> pick something else. <laughs> Let's argue. <laughs> no, there's just a lot of good in this movie. I think a lot of the, the technical aspects alone keep this from getting into a a C territory for me or B minus territory. Yeah. I mean, the fact that in my head, I was thinking, oh, this is a, a solid B, no plus, no minus. And you said, this is a solid B. <laughs> we'll get our big one out there one day, our big gap. Yeah. I don't think we've, ha uh -huh. we've had like a letter. No, we haven't had I any. think the biggest one that we've disagreed on is the Matrix. But even yeah. then, I think you understood where I was coming from. But I, I think our biggest grade difference has been The Matrix so far. No, that is true. But there is a film coming up, and I don't know. I think we could... I don't... I know I'm going low, and you may... Yeah, no, I think we're going to have a gap on it. Because I'm definitely going to go low on it, and I can't see you going as low with me. But it's going to be my lowest Wait, so side far. note, which film? Oh, no, I'm not telling you. What? No, I want to know. <laughs> We planned up until June, so that's a lot of movies we have upcoming. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think what we even have. Like, I'm already forgetting. <laughs> Dang. I want to know. I'm just waiting for the podcast where we just have a complete throwdown. 
I'm ready. I'm excited for it. Oh, it's coming up. Well, no, it's I, gonna happen. I don't know if it's going to happen with this one, but it's going to happen eventually. I mean, it's not <laughs> like we haven't thrown down about films before. We just haven't had the one on this show yet. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, one day it'll happen. <laughs> so just get ready. Be prepared. <laughs> Words will be said. <laughs> Tears might be shed. <laughs> it's going to be rough. <laughs> not really. Me and Brian, we, uh, we have different views, but I think... We, in general, we share similar similar views. There's enough common ground and understanding that keeps us going. We're going to say, yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. It's stupid. I don't agree. A bit racist. But, you know, we're cool. We're cool. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I will say that for this film, though, I am a sucker for a Dutch angle. So that might also just go towards my uh, love of the camera work. I see a Dutch angle and I'm like, ooh, how exciting. <laughs> I love some camera work. I love some fun camera work. For the most part with movies, you don't really want to notice the camera. You kind of don't want to lose your immersion from some of the camera work. But every now and then, if it's added in and it's added in smartly, it does do a lot for the story. But I think that's a a good solid rating for this movie. Do you want to go ahead and give a, a tease of what we have planned in two weeks from now for our next mission? So we had a last minute switch. We found out that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is also having a remake coming out on Netflix. So we are going to be doing a review for the remake, but and also in honor of it somewhat, we're also going to go ahead and watch the original, which I've seen, but Caitlin, you have not seen. And this is known to be one of those first horror slashers out there. So Caitlin, what we're going to need is our own chainsaw, because that may actually help. Don't touch any of the meat. Try to stay out of a wheelchair till after the movie because we're going to be watching 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, I guess that's good advice. I don't really know because I haven't seen this film. So we'll we'll have to see. <laughs> I'm excited because it is a classic. I've just been putting it off. So we'll see you then. And in the meantime, if you want to connect with us, you can go onto our social media pages. We're on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. On Facebook, we're over at Operation SilverScreen. But on Twitter and Instagram, once again, that's OpSilverScreen. Uh, please leave us a review, comments, tell us what you thought. We're also posting a little bit more content over there just throughout the week, just to try to engage with you all and see what your thoughts are. You can also find us on our personal letterboxes. Mine is CoffeeSpoonKate. That's CoffeeSpoon, C-A-I-T. And Brian, where can they find you on Letterboxd? They can find me at Swank Seal, capital S, capital S. And please leave us a review on any of the podcast listening sites. The We have set some milestones uh, with the social media promotions and getting some more reviews. We have a lot of content that we're going to get out to you guys, but first we need to go ahead and pass this. So please leave us your review, preferably five stars. If you have anything negative to say, I recommend reaching out to us on our social media before leaving us a rating. That way we can go ahead and make any changes. And if after that you give us a you give us a second chance and we still don't meet it, then yeah, go ahead. I won't discourage journalism, honest journalism. Fake news. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> and on another note, this is this podcast has been our second one for Black History Month, and so we just want to thank you for listening to us through then. I, Brian, I don't know if you have anything you wanted to say in regards to that as well. I would like to say that a, just because Black History Month is ending, all right, does not mean that we are going to stop remembering those who have made monumental moments in history and just 
thanking the black culture for everything that they have contributed. Also, I know we said a lot of things. Some people may even say controversial. And even if it's outside of this month, even if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and the middle of July, you want to continue to have a discussion about something that we said, by all means, let us know. So yeah, that's been our episode and our mission for this week. Once again, if you want to catch up with us next time, we're going to be covering the Texas Change Fall Massacre on March 1st. We release bi-weekly. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else their podcasts are. So connect with us, let us know how you feel, and we'll see you next time. See you.